Welcome to the True Crime Truckers Podcast. This podcast deals with true crime and subjects such as rape, murder, and sexual assault. This podcast may not be suitable for younger listeners, so listener discretion is advised. Terry Melcher visited Spawn Ranch to hear Manson and the women sing. Melcher arranged a subsequent visit, not long thereafter during which he brought a friend who possessed a mobile recording unit, but Melcher did not record the group. By June, Manson was telling the family that they might have to show blacks how to start Helter Skelter. When Manson tasked Watson with obtaining money, supposedly intended to help the family prepare for the conflict. Watson defrauded a black drug dealer named Bernard Lotsapapa Crow. Crow responded with a threat to wipe out everyone at Spawn Ranch. Manson countered on July 1, 1969 by shooting Crow at his Hollywood apartment. Manson's belief was that he had killed Crow was seemingly confirmed by a news report of the discovery of a dumped body of a Black Panther in Los Angeles. Although Crow was not a member of the Black Panthers, Manson concluded he had been an expected retaliation from the Panthers. He turned Spawn Ranch into a defensive camp with night patrols of armed guards. Tex Watson would later write, quote, If we needed any more proof that Helter Skelter was coming down very soon, this was it. Unquote. Gary Allen Hinman was a music teacher and a Ph.D. student at UCLA. At some point in the late 1960s, he befriended members of the Manson family, allowing some of them to stay at his home on occasion. Manson was under the impression that Hinman had considerable stocks and bonds and owned his property. Believing that he was wealthy, Manson sent family members Bobby Beausoleil, Mary Brunner, and Susan Atkins to Hinman's home on July 25, 1969 to convince Gary to join the family and turn over the assets Manson thought Hinman had inherited. The three held the uncooperative Hinman hostage for two days, during which time Manson showed up with a sword and slashed his ear. After that, Beausoleil stabbed Hinman to death, allegedly on Manson's instructions. 
Before leaving the Topanga Canyon residence, Beausoleil or one of the women used Hinman's blood to write, quote, political piggy on the wall and to draw panther paw, a black panther symbol. In magazine interviews in 1981 and 1998, Busole said he went to Hinman's to recover money paid to Hinman for drugs that he had supposedly bought and that had been bad. He added that Brunner and Atkins, unaware of his intent, went along merely to visit Hinman. Gary uh, sold some dope to some bad people. He sold some drugs that cost uh, uh, Busole's wife to lose her baby. Kid come to me and says, Hinman owes me. I said, okay, what do you want me to do? He said, you're my brother, right? I said, yeah, that's right. He said, what do I do? I said, well, if you're big enough, go get your money. If you're not, sit down and keep quiet. He said, what would you do? I said, money, man, it's not worth the trouble. You dig? Let's go party, you know? I mean, what do we need money for? All right, I'm big enough. I'm going to go get it. I said, okay, that's what you want. So he called me a couple of days later. He said, man, this guy's got a gun. I said, don't invoke me to no violence, man. I just got out of the penitentiary. I don't want to go back. He said, you said you were my brother. And, and he said, what do I do? He's got a gun. I said, well, if he's got a gun, he's a coward. He must be afraid or he wouldn't have a gun, you know. I said, you don't need a gun, man. I said, uh, don't reach for the gun. If you reach for the gun, he'll shoot you because you're putting his mind on the gun. Smack him in the mouth first. Put his mind on his mouth, then grab the gun. Oh, you're crazy. I said, no, that's not crazy. It's just a matter of dealing with yourself. Show me. So I said, don't, you know, so I got involved. So here I go. Bruce McGregor Davis and I go over to Hinman's house. I got a knife on my leg. So I cut Hinman's ear and I take the gun. He shoots off on the wall and I throw the gun one way and I throw the knife the other way. And I give the kid the, the knife and I say, that's how you do it. Don't bring me into none of this no more. Don't bring me into no violence. Then I'm thinking, I gotta scare this character. I say, all right, now I got to kill you, Henry. He said, oh, don't kill me. I said, if I don't kill you, you're gonna tell my parole officer, and he's gonna put me back in prison. He said, no, I won't, I won't tell. I said, you give me your word as your bond, and your bond as your life, you won't tell. He said, I give you my word as my bond, and I, and I look back at the Frenchman, and I, the Frenchman's standing there with a the knife. He's got Henman. Are we in the truth here? And he said, yes, we're in the truth. I said, okay. We passed his ear up. We put some scotch tape on his ear. We fixed him up. He's back on the road. No problems. I'm out of there, man. I straightened it out. I got paid. I said, pay the kid what you owe him. He paid him the money. Uh, they transferred the cars and made their deals. So then Henman got, well, he got the knife. Oh, no, he got the gun. From, he got the gun. He said, I'm going to go kill that. So the little love it. And he said, well, and Bobby said, no, I can't let you do that. He said, you gave your word. And he said, well, no, that don't mean nothing to me. You know, he said, he cut my ear. I'm going to go blah, blah, blah. And Bobby said, no, I can't let you do that because he was standing up for me. Henman says, uh, he, pushed by, he pushed by Bobby and Bobby handed him the knife. And he says, I'll not let you harm him because he was standing in my place and he's my brother. Atkins, in her 1977 autobiography, wrote that Manson directly told Beausoleil, Brunner, and her to go to Hinman's house and get the supposed inheritance of $21,000. She said that two days earlier, Manson had told her privately that if she wanted to, quote, do something important, she could kill Hinman and get his money.
Beausoleil was arrested on August 6, 1969, after he was caught driving Hinman's car. Police found the murder weapon in the tire well. Two days later, Manson told family members at Spawn Ranch, quote, now is the time for Helter Skelter, unquote. On the night of August 8, 1969, Tex Watkins took Susan Atkins, Linda Kasabian, and Patricia Krenwinkel to, quote, the house where Melcher used to live, unquote, as Manson had instructed him, to, quote, totally destroy everyone in it as gruesome as you can, unquote. Manson had told the women to do as Watson would instruct them. The people at the time of the crimes were just blobs. They weren't individuals. They, they meant nothing to me. I didn't know the people. Um, I was so uh, high on speed that I understood what I was doing, but it just didn't make any difference anymore. The occupants of the house at 100,050 Cielo Drive that evening, all of whom were strangers to the Manson followers, were movie actress and fashion model Sharon Tate, who was eight and a half months pregnant, and the wife of film director Roman Polanski, her friend and former lover Jay Sebring, a noted hairstylist, Polanski's friend and aspiring screenwriter Wojciech Frykowski, and Frykowski's lover Abigail Folger, heiress to the Folger coffee fortune and daughter of Peter Folger. Polanski was in Europe working on a film project, Tate had accompanied him, but returned home three weeks earlier. Music producer Quincy Jones, a friend of Sebring, had planned to join him that evening, but did not go. Sebring had invited Steve McQueen to the party at Tate's house on the night of the murders. According to McQueen, he invited a girlfriend to come along, but she instead suggested an intimate night at home. When the group arrived at the entrance to the property, Watson, who had been to the house on at least one other occasion, climbed a telephone pole near the entrance gate and cut the phone lines to the house. The group backed their car to the bottom of the hill that led to the estate, parked, and walked back up to the house. Thinking the gate might be electrified or equipped with an alarm, they climbed a brushy embankment to the right of the gate and entered the grounds. Just then, headlights approached from farther within the angled property. Watson ordered the women to lie in the bushes. He stepped out and ordered the approaching driver to halt. 18-year-old student Stephen Parent had been visiting the property's caretaker, William Gerritsen, who lived in the property's guest house. As Watson leveled a 22 caliber revolver at Parent, the frightened youth begged Watson not to hurt him, claiming that he would not say anything. Watson lunged at Parent with a knife, giving him a defensive slash wound on the palm of his hands, severing tendons and tearing the boy's watch off his wrist. Then he shot him four times in the chest and abdomen, killing him. 
Watson ordered the women to help push the car further up the driveway. After traversing the front lawn and having Kasabian search for an open window to the main house, Watson cut the screen of a window. Watson told Kasabian to keep watch down by the gate. She walked over to Parent's AMC ambassador and waited. Watson removed the screen, entered through the window, and let Atkins and Krenwinkle in through the front door. As Watson whispered to Atkins, a sleeping Frykowski awoke on the living room couch. Watson kicked him in the head. When Frykowski asked him who he was and what he was doing there, Watson replied, quote, I'm the devil, and I'm here to do the devil's business, unquote. On Watson's direction, Atkins found the house's three other occupants and, with Kremwinkle's help, forced them to the living room. Watson began to tie Tate and Sebring together by their necks with a rope he had brought and slung up over one of the living room's ceiling beams. Sebring's protests of rough treatment of the pregnant Tate prompted Watson to shoot him. Folgers was taken momentarily back to her bedroom for her purse, out of which she gave the intruder $70. After that, Watson stabbed the groaning Sebring seven times. Frykowski's hands had been bound with a towel. Freeing himself, Frykowski began struggling with Atkins, who stabbed at his legs with the knife with which she had been guarding him. As he fought his way towards and out the front door onto the porch, Watson caught up with Frykowski and struck him over the head with the gun multiple times, stabbed him repeatedly, and shot him twice. Around this time, Kasabian was drawn up from the driveway by, quote, horrifying sounds. She arrived outside the door. In a vain effort to halt the massacre, she falsely told Atkins that someone was coming. Inside the house, Folger had escaped from Krenwinkle and fled out of a bedroom door to the pool area. Folger was pursued to the front lawn by Krenwinkle, who caught her, stabbed her, and finally tackled her to the ground. She was killed by Watson, who stabbed her 28 times. As Frykowski struggled across the lawn, Watson murdered him with a final flurry of stabbings. Frykowski was stabbed a total of 51 times. I ran her down, and I began to stab her. Do you remember her screaming at you? Yeah, I remember her saying, I'm already dead. In the house, Tate pleaded to be allowed to live long enough to give birth and offered herself as a hostage in an attempt to save the life inside her. At this point, either Atkins, Watkins, or both killed Tate, who was stabbed 16 times. Watson later wrote that as she was being killed, Tate cried for her mother. Earlier, as the four family members had been heading out from Spawn Ranch, Manson had told the women to, quote, leave a sign, something witchy, unquote. Using the towel that had browned Frykowski's hands, Atkins wrote pig on the house's front door in Tate's blood. In route home, the killers changed out of their bloody clothes, which they disposed of in the hills along with their weapons.
The next night of August 9, 1969, six family members, Leslie Van Houten, Steve Clem Grogan, and the four from the previous night drove out on Manson's orders. Displeased by the panic of the victims at Cielo Drive, Manson accompanied the six, quote, to show them how to do it, unquote. After a few hours' ride in which he considered a number of murders and even attempted one of them, Manson gave Kasabian directions that brought the group to 3301 Waverly Drive. This was the home of supermarket executive Lino LaBianca and his wife Rosemary, a dress shop co-owner. Located in the Los Feliz section of Los Angeles, it was next door to a house at which Manson and the family members had attended a party the previous year. According to Adkins and Kasabian, Manson disappeared up the driveway and returned to say that he had tied up the house's occupants. He then sent Watson up with Krenwinkle and Van Houten. In his autobiography, Watson stated that having gone up alone, Manson returned to take him up to the house with him. After Manson pointed out the sleeping man through the window, the two of them entered through an unlocked back door. Watson added at trial that he, quote, went along with the women's account, which he figured might make him look much less responsible, unquote. As Watson related it, Manson roused the sleeping Leno LaBianca from his couch at gunpoint and had Watson bind his hands with a leather thong. After Rosemary was brought briefly into the living room from the bedroom, Watson followed Manson's instructions to cover the couple's heads with pillowcases. He bound these in place with lamp cords. Manson left, sending Krenwinkel and Van Houten into the house with instructions that the couple be killed. Before leaving Spawn Ranch, Watson had complained to Manson of the inadequacy of the previous night's weapons. Now, sending the women from the kitchen to the bedroom to which Rosemary LaBianca had been returned, he went into the living room and began stabbing Leno LaBianca with a chrome-plated bayonet. The first thrust went into the man's throat. Sounds of a scuffle in the bedroom drew Watson there to discover Rosemary LaBianca keeping the women at bay by swinging the lamp tied to her neck. After subduing her with several stabs of the bayonet, he returned to the living room and resumed attacking Leno, whom he stabbed a total of 12 times with the bayonet. After this attack, the word war was carved into his abdomen by a perpetrator. Returning to the bedroom, Watson found Krenwinkel stabbing Rosemary LaBianca with a knife from the LaBianca's kitchen. Heeding Manson's instructions to make sure each of the women played a part, Watson told Van Houten to stab Mrs. LaBianca too. She did, stabbing her approximately 16 times in the back and the exposed buttocks. At trial, Van Houten would claim, uncertainly, that Rosemary LaBianca was dead when she stabbed her. Evidence shows that many of Mrs. LaBianca's 41 stab wounds had, in fact, been inflicted post-mortem. Tex handed me a knife and he said, do something. And I stabbed Mrs. LaBianca in the lower torso. I think 16 times. While Watson cleaned off the bayonet and showered, Krenwinkel wrote Rise and Death to Pigs on the walls and Helter Skelter, misspelled, on the refrigerator door, all in LaBianca's blood. She gave Leno LaBianca 14 puncture wounds with an ivory-handled two-tined carving fork, which she left jutting out of his stomach. She also planted a steak knife in his throat. 
Meanwhile, hoping for a double crime, Manson had gone on to direct Kasabian to drive to the Venice home of an actor acquaintance of hers, another, quote, piggy. Depositing the other three family members who had departed Spahn with him that evening at the man's apartment building, Manson drove back to Spahn Ranch, leaving them and the LaBianca killers to hitchhike home. Kasabian thwarted this murder by deliberately knocking on the wrong apartment door and waking a stranger. As the group abandoned the murder plan and left, Atkins defecated in the stairwell. The Tate murders became national news on August 9, 1969. The Polanski's housekeeper, Winford Chapman, had arrived for work that morning and discovered the murder scene. We have a... Weird homicide. In a scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religious rite, five persons, including actress Sharon Tate, were found dead at the home of Miss Tate and her husband, screen director Roman Polyansky. Miss Tate, who starred in Valley of the Dolls, was eight months pregnant and was found in a bikini-type nightgown with a rope around her neck attached to the body of a man. Two bodies inside, two bodies outside. Among the other victims were Hollywood hairstylist Jay Sebring and coffee heiress Abigail Folger. Authorities would allow no one in an unofficial capacity inside the posh $200,000 home in the hills overlooking Los Angeles. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines cut. The bodies had been dead about 12 hours. They were discovered this morning by a maid who ran screaming to neighbors. One officer summed up the murders when he said, In all my years, I have never seen anything like this before. On August 10th, detectives of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, which had jurisdiction in the Hinman case, informed LAPD detectives assigned to the Tate case of the bloody writing at the Hinman house. Thinking the Tate murders were a consequence of a drug transaction, the Tate team ignored this and the crime's other similarities. The Tate autopsies were underway, and the LaBianca bodies were yet to be discovered. Stephen Parent, the shooting victim in the Tate driveway, was determined to have been an acquaintance of William Gerritsen, who lived in the guest house. Gerritsen was a young man hired by Rudy Altabelli to take care of the property while Altabelli was away. As the killers arrived, Parent had been leaving Cielo Drive after a visit to Gerritsen. Held briefly as a Tate suspect, Gerritsen told police that he had neither seen nor heard anything on the murder night. He was released on August 11, 1969, after undergoing a polygraph examination that indicated that he had not been involved in the crimes. Interviewed decades later, he stated that he had in fact witnessed a portion of the murders, as the examination suggested. Gerritsen died in August of 2016. The LaBianca crime scene was discovered at about 10.30 p.m. on August 10th, approximately 19 hours after murders were committed. 15-year-old Frank Struthers, Rosemary's son from a prior marriage, and Leno's stepson returned from a camping trip and was disturbed by seeing all the window shades of his home drawn and by the fact that his stepfather's speedboat was still attached to the family car, which was parked in the driveway. He called his older sister and her boyfriend. The boyfriend, Joe Dorgan, accompanied the younger Struthers into the home and discovered Leno's body. Rosemary was found by investigating police officers. On August 12, 1969, the LAPD told the press it had ruled out any connection between Tate and the LaBianca homicides. 
On August 16th, the sheriff's office raided Spawn Ranch and arrested Manson and 25 others as, quote, suspects in a major auto theft ring, unquote, that had been stealing Volkswagen Beetles and converting them into dune buggies. Weapons were seized, but because the warrant had been misdated, the group was released a few days later. In a report at the end of August, when virtually all leads had gone nowhere, the LaBianca detectives noticed a possible connection between the bloody writings at the LaBianca house and, quote, the singing group The Beatles' most recent album, unquote. As always, you can contact me at truecrimetruckerpodcast at gmail.com or join the Facebook group at True Crime Truckers Podcast. You can also visit my website at www.ageofradio.org slash truecrimetrucker slash. Also, if you'd like to donate to the show and get yourself a True Crime Truckers Podcast sticker, Go to www.patreon.com slash truecrimetruckerspodcast. You can also find me on Instagram at michael.prit81. I will return in two weeks, so until then, stay safe.